How many of you are DIYers? You're do-it-yourselfers. You're the kind of people who have cable television only so you can watch HGTV. Uh, your favorite celebrities are Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know, have credit cards to Lowe's and Home Depot. You know, the quickest route to those locations at all times. And you think that any house project, there is a solution if you just find the right YouTube video. I like to think that I'm a DIY guy. I like to fix things around the house. I like projects. And on a good day, if I'm really good, I really think that I am this close to having my own show on HGTV. I mean, they make it look so easy, don't they? It's like all you need for a good TV show, a good fixer-upper show on HGTV, you need a good hammer and a, an attractive wife. And the only thing I'm lacking is a hammer. Um, today, by the way, is my anniversary, so I'm looking for easy points uh, with my wife. Um, but anyway, um, I have learned through the course of being a homeowner that I can't fix everything. There's a, an occasional problem that I deem as just broken beyond repair. It cannot be fixed. And this year, I think one of the lessons we've all learned is that there are some things in our world that simply cannot be fixed. Throughout the Bible, throughout our lives, we're continually confronted with the sad reality that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Can we agree on that? This year we've seen so much division and heartache. We've seen a ton of sickness, disease, and death. We've seen racial tension and injustice. And the one thing I think we can all agree on is that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Our creation, this world is longing for redemption. And so the question I want us to ask together this morning is, how is this broken world ultimately going to be fixed? Who is going to reverse the curse and who is going to bring this redemption to the creation? I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. As we see here a beautiful picture, a vision, focusing our minds and our hearts on the only one who is worthy to take possession of this world and to set it straight. You can see three things we're gonna see in Revelation chapter five there on the back side of your outline. Number one, we're gonna see the problem in heaven. There's a tremendous problem we see in Revelation five, one through four. But then we're gonna see the solution from heaven, the only solution to this problem. And then finally, we'll see the response of heaven breaking out in worship of the one who's worthy. Let's take a look in Revelation chapter five. Let's look number one on your outline, the problem in heaven. Revelation chapter five, notice verse one. John says this. John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Now, we're jumping right 
into a book here, and we didn't take the time to go through verse, or chapters one through four. If you were to look at chapter four in the book of Revelation, you see this beautiful picture, this beautiful vision of one sitting on the throne. This is God the Father. John sees this tremendous vision of God the Father there sitting on the throne in heaven. And now here in Revelation five, verse one, John says, I saw in the hand of him who sat on the throne of God the Father, a scroll. And notice what John sees in this scroll. It's written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. People today often wonder, what is this book? What is this scroll? But I promise you that those in John's day would have known exactly what this was. There was only one document that fits this exact description. It's a will. We know outside of the Bible that very important figures like Augustus or Vespasian, their wills are described in this exact terminology. They are scrolls that are sealed with seven seals and they have writing on the inside and on the, on the backside. These wills, uh, they're sealed seven times because they're protected and only the one who is going to inherit is able to break open those seals. The writing on the inside contained the details, but the writing on the outside was a summary. Often like books today have the summary on the back or on the inside cover. And so the scrolls of this day, they would have the, the summary on the outside, but the details of the inside. So John sees this scroll, it's really a will. And in this particular scroll, you'll see, if you were to continue reading in the book of Revelation, as the seals are broken, the judgments of God are then poured out on the earth. But what comes at the very end is the most important. After all of the judgments of the book of Revelation, it's then that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. In other words, what's really contained in this scroll is the title deed of the earth. Who is going to inherit and take ownership over this creation? This leads us to the question, who is worthy then to take the scroll to open its seals. Notice verse two, John says in Revelation chapter five, verse two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The question in John's mind is, who is worthy to take this scroll to inherit the earth and to take ownership of this creation? The strong angel proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy? No one. No one, we see, is worthy. 
Not you, not me. No man, no woman, no child, no politician, no pastor, no one is worthy to rule over, to inherit this creation. No one. And so notice the realization that no one is worthy to inherit this creation, to rule over it, brings John to the point of weeping greatly, he says. He, he knows that if no one inherits this earth, then the fallen condition of this creation will never change. John knows that if no one can take possession over the creation, then this hopeless condition in which we find ourselves will continue indefinitely. It will never come to an end. And this sad realization brings John to tears. And it should bring us to tears. Like I said earlier, I like DIY projects. But sometimes, in my experience, DIY projects aren't quite as easy as they look on HDTV, right? And so you start a project, and then after the 37th trip to Home Depot or to Lowe's to get the screws and the tools and everything you need, after the 37th trip there, you finally throw your hands in the air and say, this is one for the professionals. I need to call in somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And likewise, our world is broken. The problems of our world cannot be fixed by DIYers. But if you open any newspaper, any website, you see people who think they have the fix. They think they have the solution. But the truth is, we are the problem. We're not the solution. And so we need to call on the professional. And to do that, I want you to look at number two on your outline. Revelation chapter five, verses five through seven. We see here the solution from heaven. Notice Revelation chapter five. In the midst of John crying, weeping, because no one is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals. Notice chapter five, verse five. But one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, look. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I love this. Picture this in your mind. John has just been hit with the sad realization that no one is worthy to take the scroll to open its seals. No one is worthy to inherit this creation, to fix what we have broken. And that brings him to the point of weeping. And then through tear-filled eyes, John is told to look. Behold, there is one who is worthy after all. And through tear-filled eyes, notice what John sees, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome so as to open the scroll. 
You can jot down if you want to Genesis 49. This is the image of the lion of the tribe of Judah or Isaiah chapter 11. This is the root of David. You could look at that at a later time. Both of these terms are obviously referring to Jesus. That he is the one who is worthy to take the scroll, to inherit this earth and to redeem what we have broken. And John sees there through tear-filled eyes looking for a lion. Notice verse 6, what he sees again. And I saw a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Through tear-filled eyes, John looked for the lion, but instead sees a lamb. This lamb, by the way, notice it's kind of odd imagery, has seven horns, which are representative of his power. He's omnipotent. He has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out throughout all of the world. This is uh, depicting his omniscience. He knows all things. He sees all things. But the main thing I want you to see here is that he is the only one who is truly worthy to step forward to take the scroll out of the hands of God the Father. And that's what you see in verse 7. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Don't miss this. This moment right here begins the process that we are all waiting for. This moment right here begins the process where everything is put in its proper place by being placed in the hands of the one whose hands were nailed to the tree. This right here is the moment that kicks off the rest of the book of Revelation that ultimately ends with Jesus taking possession of his creation of bringing redemption to this world that we have broken. Can you really imagine what this is going to be like? <laughs> I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been studying the Bible, it's easy to just kind of skip past these verses and to not read, really let them hit you. Can you really imagine what it will be like when things finally get placed in the proper hands, when Jesus takes possession of what is rightfully his? Can you imagine this? John Lennon, in his famous song, invites the listener to imagine a world with no heaven and no hell, with no countries, no religion, no possession. And he thinks... That if the world was that way, then we would be at one. We would be at peace. But he's a dreamer. Because that's not the answer. The answer that this creation is waiting for and longing for is what we see right here. Human solutions cannot fix spiritual problems. We created the problems of this world and we are the problem, not the solution. But can you imagine, really, what it'll be like when this process begins to take place? When Jesus will begin the process 
of making all things new. And can you imagine the response, the praise that will come as a result? To see that, I want you to look at number three on your outline. Revelation chapter five, starting in verse eight, we see the response of heaven when this process begins to fall into place. Notice verse eight. When he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, notice, fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, notice this, which are the prayers of the saints. When Jesus takes the scroll, notice everything changes from weeping to worship. Weeping over the condition of this world to worshiping the one who laid down his life. Notice the praise that explodes from the epicenter of God's throne here. We see two major things we see prayer and we see singing. Notice John sees the four living creatures, the 24 elders falling before him in worship and they hold in their hands a lamp and golden harps, uh, golden bowls of incense, which he says are the prayers of the saints. I can't prove this, but I think the prayers of the saints here are the prayers we've all had when we've been confronted with the fallenness of our world, the prayers we've all had when we pray out as Jesus commanded us to, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the prayers we've all had when we are longing for the effects of sin around us to finally be taken care of. We see prayer but we also see singing. Notice verse nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. A new song here is now heard in heaven. And again, it comes down to that word worthy. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. Why? Notice why Jesus is worthy here. First, because he was slain and purchased for God with his blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That word for purchased means redeem. To buy. One of the things we see throughout scripture, one of the truths we see throughout scripture is that you and I, every single one of us, every human being who has ever been born is born into a slave market of sin. But Jesus purchased us. He redeemed us. God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And listen, Those of you here in this room, those of you watching online, the most important thing I want you to hear, the most important thing I want you to see is the gospel we see right here. The bad news is you are part of the problem. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. There's not a single righteous one among us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus purchased you. He bought you 
with the price of his blood. And for all who simply trust in him, your sins are forgiven. Listen, this is the most important message you will ever hear. And if you've not responded to that message with faith in Christ, I'd invite you where you are, right where you're seated, to do just that. He's worthy to inherit this world because of what he has done. And then the second reason, the second reason Jesus is worthy here contained in this song is because you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. It's a beautiful promise contained here as well that for those who trust in Jesus, we are invited to rule with him in his kingdom this thousand year period where everything will be right. Everything will be as it's supposed to be because of the one who will be ruling over it. And the amazing thing is you and I are invited to participate, to take part in Jesus' ruling over the earth. This is the moment that all of creation has been moving for towards since the fall. So this new song breaks out in heaven. Then I notice verse 11. John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." Again, we see that word worthy. Coming out there, uh, the song continues and these myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels begin proclaiming in praise and thanksgiving to this king of kings. But notice the praise and the singing continues, verse 13, and every created thing. So notice first it was the four living creatures and the elders and then the angels, but now every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped i love this chapter this entire series joy in the journey these were favorite passages of mine as i'm kind of beginning my ministry here at grace bible church and really this one right here revelation chapter 5 is my favorite of favorites this entire series has been covering my favorite passages in the life and the ministry of Jesus, but this one shows us where it all ends. This one shows us where we are finally and ultimately headed, what it will be like when Jesus, the rightful king, finally takes possession and takes authority over his creation. Now, you might be thinking, this is a pretty simple message. I mean, this guy went to Dallas Seminary and all he's up here telling me is that Jesus is gonna take finally authority over the creation. I mean, this is pretty much Christianity 101, right? It is. This is pretty much Christianity 101. Jesus wins. That's kind of the name of the story, right? But let me ask you, even though this is Christianity 101, how often do we actually live as though we really believe this? 
how often do we actually live as though we actually believe that this day is coming? Because I don't know about you, but constantly I'm looking to place my hope in earthly solutions to spiritual problems. Again, open any newspaper, any advertisement. What it really boils down to is people offering to us earthly human solutions to what are inherently spiritual problems. And listen, I'm not trying to ignore or minimize in any way the blessings of medicine and technology and all of those things. Those things are great. But none of them can ultimately fix our deepest need. None of them are ultimately going to address the redemption that all of creation is groaning for and is longing for. They're all just temporary fixes, band-aids. Many of you know that since moving to Dallas, we've been looking for a house. And we've been in a lot of houses and Bill and Gail McCord have been kind enough to give us their time to show us all these houses. And what's incredible is that in our present market, people are flipping houses left and right. And so these professionals come in and they flip these houses and they look beautiful. But Bill and Gail McCord and their expertise, they're able to walk around the house and point out all the issues that are lying beneath the surface. And Bill has a great phrase to describe these houses that look beautiful, but none of the foundational issues have been addressed. He says it's lipstick on a pig. <laughs> it's lipstick on a pig. It looks beautiful. Cosmetically, things have been done, but structurally, foundationally, there's still problems. And that's the world we're living in. And every temporary fix is just lipstick on a pig until Revelation chapter five. Until the one who is worthy begins the process of taking possession, taking control over what is rightfully his. Here in Revelation chapter five, we see the lamb standing as if slain. And this is supposed to instill within us a confidence, a hope in his promise to one day make all things new. So as we think about applying Revelation chapter 5, it really all comes down to this idea of hope. What are you hoping in? Hope, Cicero said, when there is life, there is hope. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said that hope is a continual looking forward to the eternal world. I like that. It's a continual looking forward to the eternal world. That's what hope is. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness around us. And do you live with the hope, the expectation that what we see here in Revelation 5 will one day come to pass? That the world is not as it should be, but praise be to God, the world is not ultimately what it will be. The world is not what it should be, but praise be to God, the world is not ultimately what it will be. And that realization 
that hope, like we see here in Revelation 5, ought to bring out of us praise, thanksgiving, excitement, and anticipation of the redemption that one day Jesus will bring. And so there at the top of your outline, your one thing for this week, listen, if you have time for nothing else, the one thing I want you to do this week as a response to Revelation chapter five, I want you to to ask these questions, you know, how do you look forward to the reign of Jesus? How can you keep his reign as a present hope and future expectation? But here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to find a fun, creative way to worship the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. I want you to get really creative and I want you to come back and tell me what you did. Throw a party, celebrate in some way the coming redemption that one day Jesus will bring. I had somebody after the first service tell me their small group is gonna get together this week and throw a party. I hope that happens. I want you to celebrate the coming redemption that day when Jesus will take possession of what is his and will make all things new. Here in Revelation 5, we see a great vision, a great picture of what will one day take place and we are invited now to worship, to anticipate that day. So this is the end of my first series here at Grace. Joy in the journey. I hope you've benefited from this little short series. But the main thing I want you to see is that the hope of this church, the hope of this world is not in the guy in the pulpit. The hope of this church is not even ultimately in the people in the pew. But the hope of this church is found in the one who is worthy who laid down his life for this church, who will one day come to take his bride and will one day come and make all things new. Until then, we wait and we worship and we hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Thank you that in your love, Father, you sent your son to pay the penalty for our sin. Thank you that you've sealed us with your spirit. And thank you for the promise, Father, that one day your son will return. That he'll rescue us from this world and that he will bring redemption to this creation. Father, help us as we wait. Call us to worship, cause us to hope in the one who is worthy, in the one in whose name we pray, amen.